0: It was growing late in the evening, and my wife, who was great with child, was having contractions. Of course, my excitement level rose. We had gone to the classes about what you're supposed to do. We had talked about it. We had read books as first-time parents and more mature than some other first-time parents. We had studied everything we could study. We had prayed, and we were ready, right? And she had a book she was reading, and as I'm timing her contraction, she says, oh, I just want to finish this book before we go to the hospital. I'm going, sweetheart, the hospital's 30 minutes away if I speed. It's really more like 35, you know, and your contractions, and she's like, oh, just just another chapter, and then, you know, so I'm sitting across the room, antsy, you know, I can't sit still, I'm trying to act like I'm cool watching her, then I would see, she's having another contraction, and she's not telling me, time it, time it, time it, so finally, she gets done with her book, and she says, all right, let's go to the hospital, we go to the hospital, we get there, contractions slow down, I'm like, come on, we're supposed to have a baby tonight, this is going to be exciting, It's finally the next morning. Yehu over there, known as Seth, who's now taller than me, (coughs) decides he's going to make his appearance. So we have a baby. Well, Melanie did everything. I just kind of stayed there and tried not to faint, right? (laughs) She said to the nurse, When Aaron faints, she didn't say if, but I didn't faint. I ate my peanut butter sandwich. I was good to go. We had a baby, and Melanie says, I want to call my mama as the doctors are still attending to her, and Seth is in the little bassinet on the other side of the delivery room, and the nurses are attending to him. And so I get the cell phone, and I call her mom, and she's talking to her mom. And um, then Seth starts to cry in the bassinet. You know, they're doing all kinds of things, messing with him. He's just brand new outside of the womb, so it's like cold and bright out there. And he starts that little baby cry, you know, and so I'm torn, because I'm here with my wife, who just gave birth, and the doctors are still working on her, and she's talking to her mother. And then my newborn son over there, and she says, in, go see your son. And I'm like, oh, okay. Are you sure you got everything okay here? She's like, what am I going to do? So I walk across the room, and I look down in that bassinet. I kind of had to wedge my way in between the nurses. I'm like, I'm the dad. I can do this. And I said, hey, buddy. And he went, Eyes still closed, but face square at me, stopped crying. And I thought, yes, best day ever! I'm a dad, and there he is, and he's healthy, and he's good, and she's getting good. Gifts like that are just amazing, aren't they? If you've had the privilege of having a child, you ladies, we have mad respect for you. Or being the daddy of a child. Or maybe even better yet, being a grandparent. Do I have some grandparents that can throw down on that one? Yeah. And how exciting it is and all the little gifts along the way that are involved in it. And it may not be childbirth that might be the best gift ever for you or becoming a parent. It might be something that somebody did to you. Totally unexpected. And it might not be that it was a uh, valuable something that they bought for you or that they gave to you. But it was their thought. It was their effort. It was their heart that they put into it. That when you receive that gift, you were literally just blown away. And it may have even been a very humble gift. Something that didn't have a lot of monetary value. But because of who it was from, maybe because of what it was, it touched your heart in an amazing way. So I can tell lots of stories where I felt humbled that way. But that... My son stopped crying and looked right at me with his eyes still squint shut. But he was looking at me as I talked to him. Best gift ever, right? Yeah. We talked today about gifts, a humble gift and the humble gift of Jesus. And it comes from one of the songs that our choir is going to sing next week called Joy Has Dawned. And there's a line in that song that says of Jesus or refers to Jesus as a humble gift of love. And as I was reading those lyrics of that song months ago when Myra gave me the book and I said, yeah, let's let's do this together. Let's make this whole thing season of joy, just like the musical that you're going to be able to experience next Sunday night. It's called season of joy. I said, let me read those lyrics and let me see what God says to me. And that line, a humble gift. Resonated for me. So here we are at the beginning of the Christmas season. We have an Advent sort of sermon. When we look forward to the arrival of Jesus. And what a better place to start than in Matthew chapter 1. And if you haven't already opened your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. I'd invite you to do so. And if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. Would you please do so. As we read Matthew chapter 1 verses 8. which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, these words are familiar to us, but they touch us every time. Just like when we think about something. As Seth's childbirth touches me and I can hardly tell it without crying. That when somebody gave us a special gift that demonstrated such love to us. Something we felt so humbled by. So undeserving of that we were moved. And so, Father, we consider this gift of Jesus And we're humbled and we're moved. Because we think of who we are. And we think of who you are. And we think of the fact that. His name is Jesus. God saves. Because he will save his people from their sins. So God, our father, as we enter into this season of Advent. Let us not be so caught up in trees and lights and ribbons and bows and gifts and parties that we forget exactly who and why we celebrate. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. What's it say there? She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. It's the Greek form of the word Joshua, and it means the Lord saves. God saves his people. Now, please don't be confused with verse 23, where the angel says, call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus has quite a few names, doesn't he? When you're somebody like Jesus, you get a lot of names. Just like many of us have a name that our parents give us, then we have nicknames that we've gained along the way. We also may have a title for who we are, like Jesus is the Christ. But as we focus today on this question, we have to wonder, if his name is Jesus, who needs saved and what from? And so your outline takes you through that in a logical fashion. I pray that you will follow along as I've written it, and we just use this verse 21 as a springboard to get us thinking. And the first thing we need to consider in why the world needs a savior is what sin is. We need to consider what sin is. It's not something you necessarily want to talk about when you're thinking about Christmas time, but think about it. If we as humans were not sinners, then we would not need a Savior and we would not need Jesus. So, frankly, the reason we have Christmas is because we're sinners. And what a sin, first of all, is breaking God's law. Now, I didn't warn you today, but you see on your outline you have plenty of scripture references to turn to, and they're recorded for you there. They'll be on the big screen as well, I believe. And so uh, breaking God's law, let's consider what it says in Ephesians chapter two, verse one through three. It says, "As for you, speaking to all of us before we were in Christ." You were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live. So this is the Apostle Paul writing the church at Ephesus, and they are believers in Jesus, and he's saying you used to live that way. Verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, Satan. Satan. And his demons it tempt us. The spirit who is at work and all who are disobedient. Verse three: All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the wrath, we were all but object, or like the rest, we were all but objects of his wrath. That describes who we are as sinners, that because we gratify our own desires, because we break God's law, because we elevate ourselves to being in charge like a little g God of our own life, we're disobeying the one true God, we're following our nature, and we're breaking God's law. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, fancy word for sin, have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. Our sin is breaking God's law. And because of that, we can't have a proper relationship with God like he wants. Let's move to your next answer there, is that I have sinned. That's over in Isaiah. Over in Isaiah, I just referenced Isaiah 59, but if you want to turn, if you're able, to Isaiah 64. Now, the book of Isaiah, written some 700 years before Jesus' birth, prophesies who Jesus was and who Jesus would be. And it says in Isaiah 64, 6, that all of us have become like one who is unclean, and our righteous acts are like filthy rags, We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. See the imagery there? That our righteous acts are like filthy rags. What do you do with a filthy rag? It depends on how filthy it is and what it's filthy with. Sometimes you just throw them away, don't you? Other times you try to scrub them up as best you can or put them in the laundry or let them soak. It depends on how filthy and how ragged the rag is. Our righteousness is like that to God. Nothing we do can measure up to God's standard of righteousness. And what does it say in the end there? We're all like a leaf uh, shrivel up. And the wind of our sin blows us away. That in our sinfulness, we can't even hold our own place. Much less take care of others. We need a savior. Our sin makes us, and this is your second point, a sinner is. A sinner is what? A sinner is the first answer there is all of us. All of us are sinners. All have sinned. That's in Romans chapter 3. And I've referenced it there with verse 24 because so often we only know and read verse 23. Most of us can probably recite that one, right? It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But look at verse 24. And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. There's hope in verse 24. All of us have sinned and fall short of His glory. But verse 24 reminds us that Jesus gave His life for us to justify us, to make us right with God and His grace. So all of us are sinners, but all of us can receive grace. It's one thing to say that all of us are sinners. It's another thing to take the next step. And that's your second point there. That I am a sinner. You know, anytime I talk to somebody who says something like, I want to get baptized. Of course, I ask, well, what leads you to say you want to get baptized? And. If their answer is, well, because I believe in Jesus, I say, great. Why do you need to believe in Jesus or what do you believe about Jesus? But what I'm digging for in my questions is a revelation, a recognition of their personal sinfulness. That whether they're an 80 year old or an eight year old or anything in between, that they recognize that I have sinned and I have broken God's laws, and as a sinner, I need saving. Look at Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 1 and 2 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Our sin is personal to us. You might say that person made me sin, but you still sinned and it's still your sin. You are the actor in the sinful act. And though you might try to blame somebody else, you are responsible as if in a court of law for what you did wrong. You're a sinner. You need a savior. Lamentations chapter three, verse 40 and 42, you can write that one down. It says it this way in the ESV. It says, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed, fancy word for sin, and rebelled, another way to say sin, and you have not forgiven. If we don't ask for forgiveness, we won't be forgiven. God can forgive. He desires to forgive. But we need to come to our own realization that we are sinners and we need a Savior. So that's what sin is, and we are sinners. Let's consider next who Jesus is. Isaiah 53 is your next point there. It reminds us that Jesus is a humble gift to us. He's a humble gift. Isaiah 53 verse 1 and 2 says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground? He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. I don't forget one time I was in South Africa making visits with a pastor friend in a squatter camp. And the squatter shacks were made of zincs, they called them, corrugated tin, roughly nine feet long, three meters, right? And so you'd build your house three meters by three meters by three meters by three meters with a door. And you'd have a sloping roof on it. You'd have dirt floor, no running water, no electricity. A squatter shack. And I'll never forget, I'm in one really run-down shack one day, visiting a family with a pastor friend. And, you know, they are as hospitable as you can imagine them being, even though we're in this little space that do the math. Nine by nine. uh, What's nine by nine? It's 81 square feet in there. And there's a family in there and two pastors. And this little girl with matty hair and a dirty face... And a snotty nose as we're talking about Jesus. And we're talking about him being born in a manger. And she's got no shoes on her feet. And she needs a bath. She says, why would he be born in a place where animals live? And I'm looking around going, have you seen where you live, sister? She didn't understand that even in her humble circumstances... Well, excuse me, maybe I should put it this way. She didn't see her circumstances as humble, but to her, the utmost illustration of Jesus' humility was that he'd be born in a barn, though she lived in a shack. Scripture tells us that there was nothing about Jesus that would be attractive to other people Matter of fact, that they despised him, that they rejected him. And he is a humble gift, but it also tells us who he is. That's your next point. Jesus is God's son. In our scripture passage today that I read earlier, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. But look at what it says in Matthew 11, 27. It's on your outline. It's on the screen now. Jesus speaking and it says, all things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son. And to those whom the son chooses to reveal him. Jesus is a humble gift, but he is also God's son. God in flesh for us. And that gets us to the best part. Your fourth major point in your outline is who the Savior is. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Romans 5.8, But God demonstrated his love to us in this while we were still sinners. All of us are sinners. Christ died for us. Jesus is our Savior. Galatians 1.4 says, Jesus gave His life for our sins, just as God our Father had planned, in order to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. We are all sinners. We live in a sinful, fallen, broken world. And we need a Savior, and we cannot save ourselves. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Jesus is that Savior. Your final point on your outline there, Is that I need Jesus. What's it say in Ephesians? It tells us. How we need Jesus. It says we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. To do good works. Which God prepared. In advance for us to do. That we. Are made in Christ, to do things that we cannot imagine on our own because Jesus has saved us, because he has changed us. Listen to what Romans four, verse four and five says. It says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they've earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Why did Jesus have to come? Because because Jesus came. Why did Jesus have to come? Because we needed a savior. It might be that some of you are here this morning that you say I've never trusted Jesus as my personal savior and lord before. You can make that decision today. And it may be that some of you are here this morning and you see the Lord's supper setting before us and you realize That we're supposed to observe these elements with a clean heart and pure mind. And you need to confess something that's been on your mind that you've been holding on to. In anger or in a grudge or unforgiveness. So that you might be free to worship by receiving the Lord's Supper. Whatever your decision is today. I'm going to pray for us as our worship team comes to lead us in one song of invitation. To prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper. Let's pray together. God our Father, we're thankful for Jesus. And we're thankful that Christmas gives us opportunity year in and year out to celebrate Him, to be reminded of the simple truths that there is sin, that we are sinners. And that there is a Savior. And if we ask, he'll freely, graciously save any of us. That Jesus is the humble gift. So God, as we worship you today, we come before you and ask that you help us to prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper. But more so, Father, we pray for those who have realized that they are a sinner and they need to ask Jesus to save them from their sins right now, today, as we stand and sing. Amen.